Welcome to Data, the podcast show for dads about dads being dads. I'm your host, Brian Ward. Thank you for listening. If you're new to the show, I hope you enjoy listening. Please make sure you subscribe so you don't miss anything. I'm super excited for today's guest. Well-known former NFL player and ESPN analyst, Merrill Hodge, has joined me on Data. Merrill made his childhood dream a reality when he was drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers, where he played until 1993. He was the Steelers' Iron Man of the Year two years in a row and was named to the All-Madden team in 1989. In 93, Merrill went to the Chicago Bears as a free agent, where he played for one year until he was forced to retire early due to post-concussion syndrome. Merrill joined ESPN in 1995 as a football analyst and sideline reporter. He worked with ESPN for over 20 years. In early 2003, the habits and mindset that Merrill formulated throughout his life helped him find a way to overcome the ultimate challenge, cancer. Diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, Merrill took on chemo with the same tenacity that got him to the NFL, and later that year, Merrill was cancer-free. Now Merrill loves spending time with his family, his kids, and his grandkids. He's also an author, motivational speaker, and soon will be working again with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Merrill loved playing in the NFL and working at ESPN, but what he cherishes most is being a dad. He has used the find a way philosophy to become a better parent and to challenge his kids to take ownership for their lives. Please welcome Merrill Hodge to Dad Up. Merrill, thank you very much for joining me on Dad Up today. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to hearing uh, about your dad experiences, and uh, just a super huge honor for me to have you on. Well, I'm, I'm fortunate to be on here, my good bro. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Um, well, let's do this for my listeners. You know that probably know who you are, but um, kind of tell my listeners a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background, your story, and uh, also uh, your kid. Tell me, kid, you got. Well, um, geez, where do I start? <laughs> I, you know, I, I guess a little bit about my history. I was I was drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers in nineteen nineteen eighty seven. Played nearly a decade with the Bear, the Steelers and Bears, um, and they in the National Football League. Then worked at ESPN for twenty one years, covering the National Football League. And now I do a lot of uh, inspirational, motivational speaking. I've written three books. My first one was find a way and I just republished that one. Um, so it's the second edition and, uh, wrote the book brainwash, which is the, the truth and the real, uh, information with the science of head trauma and, and what is really CTE and what is, what is the real facts about our kids being active and playing sports. Um, and, I have two kids. Um, one, my daughter's 26. My son's 24. I have three grandbabies, uh, seven, six, and age three. So I am blessed with uh, wonderful kids and a great family. Awesome. Um, what you know from your from your NFL career? What uh, What do you think is one of the most memorable moments? My gosh, I have I have so many. Um, <laughs> most of them. Um, actually don't even, maybe my top five don't even, um, they're not even actual playing experiences. They're people I met, you know, which really kind of, um, and what they did for me and how they impacted my life, you know, from Chuck Knoll to Walter Payton, to Joe Green, um, you know, the chief to Mr. Rooney, um, you know, just, 
Um, I try when I when I speak, I, I make it crystal clear at the very beginning. I'm a product of a lot of people. Um, by no stretch of the imagination have I uh, have I evolved to where I am by myself. I've done, had to do the work. Yes, everybody has to do the work. Um, you're responsible to do your part. But man, we all need help. We all need people who inspire us and challenges. Um, and those things in life are critical. And I've been, I feel very fortunate um, to have, who have had, who have had a lot of those, continue to have them. I'm grateful for them because they helped me grow. You know, we're in an environment right now, which I, you know, I, if I see one more commercial saying these are hard times, I think I'm going to lose my mind. I mean, I think everybody knows they're hard times. They're, they're really, the times to grow though, you know, anytime, you know, that's, and right. we can take it. We can take it from that perspective versus beating people up that it's a hard time. It's a hard time. I mean, we all know it's a hard time now. We've heard that long enough, but there are times, you know, hard times are, are times to grow too. I think that you, um, you can really self evaluate, you know, and, and find things that, um, can help you grow in an environment. Oftentimes it can change a course, which, you know, I mean, it may sound devastating. You know, I know there's people that have, uh, their, their lives are going to be completely different. You see, mine might be a little different when it's all done. So I'm not, I'm not speaking like, um, but, um, that I'm immune to this. Um, but I do look at it as, um, I, I'm excited for the possible changes that could be better. You know, maybe they might happen to, if this doesn't happen and there's some things that have already taken place that um been able to take advantage of that wouldn't have taken place, you know, had I not just had this this real time to reflect and work on things that I've been putting off and holding off. So Yeah. Um I don't think it's all you know, listen, I understand there's restrictions and that's where I get to the point where you're gonna focus on the restrictions and you're gonna be a miserable son of a gun. I don't care what you say, but if you say, okay, what can I do within those restrictions? How can I work within them? What things can I do in there, in those restrictions to improve and get better and, and, you know, keep purpose and keep, uh, uh, keep yourself, uh, a routine going, then that's the better value in the whole process. And you, know, you have a chance to grow from that. You know, I've had to put myself through that, that process again. You know, my life has changed many times from, my career ended prematurely in the NFL to be to being let go at ESPN prematurely. I mean, unexpectedly, you know, so I, I've had a little practice at this, you know, so, um, um, but every one of them has turned out better, you know, um, is good as bad as it looks initially. Um, maybe it's not that way, you know, and I, the best one for me from that perspective is I was diagnosed with cancer some 17 years ago. And I can tell you this and I'll testify. Nobody wants to hear that. And, um, nobody's really, you can never be equipped to hear it, um, from that experience. And as devastating and as brutal as that journey was, it saved my life because without doing pet cat scans that were required to make sure I was clear of cancer once I got enough of my treatments, they find I have a, uh, a defect in my aorta. It was a little enlarged. That was probably one of two ways. It could be a genetic thing or it could have been how I was training. They do see it in a lot of athletes um, that, you know, really explode, recover, you know, do power stuff and push themselves beyond 
you know, reasonable limits um, or yeah. push their heart beyond reasonable limits. And I, I, that's probably where it came from. That being said, it doesn't change the fact that the only other way I remember when they, they re- they noticed it on my last pet cat scan, ironically, just when they had declared me, uh, um, cured, they're like, but you may want to look into this aorta thing. Okay. I'm like, well, how would they have found that had they not discovered it on that pet cat? And my right. doctor looked at me and he said, "On in your autopsy. Oh, wow. I was like, oh, my gosh. I mean, I had no symptoms. I had nothing. He goes, and they rupture. Unless you are right in front of a hospital and that a person close to you knows what's going on, you got no shot. Wow. So. They didn't, they didn't figure that out in any of your um, physicals in your NFL career? There's nothing. Well, no, well, because, okay, now here's an example, because it's so specialized. But here's an example. A stress test would never have identified that. But an echocardio would. But oftentimes, an echocardio for a heart is you have to have, you very, very, they have to have a suspicion of, and this is usually stems from probably symptoms that there's something really wrong. Okay. So you see, and more than likely, I probably would have had no symptom. I didn't have any symptoms. By the time I get surgery, let's just use numbers here. Let's say everybody's is a one, right? They use measurements like a one. When they know, when they discovered it was around a three, I think by the time I have open heart surgery, it's at a five. And I think it's five point something. I think four is considered emergency surgery type. My, my point is, an echocardio um, would be the only way you would be able to see it. But oftentimes, what are you doing an echocardio for? You know, it's usually because there's, there's a symptom or a problem. Mm-hmm. So they wouldn't, you know, on a stand. So when we're getting a standard routine schedule, um, on a physical, you're not doing echocardio. Now you can do a stress test. But a stress yeah. test is not going to tell you if you have some type of a abnormality or defect like I had. Um, and because of the detail, um, and you know what, I'd done that for, I had done that twice a year for five years, 10 times, and nobody had ever seen it. Wow. And I happened to happen to go to a different hospital and a different guy looked at my scans, somebody who had never looked at me before, and he saw it. Hmm. And so what I'm getting at, you know, like, it's just, I've had so many things in my life where yeah, it can it can seem tragic initially, um, but if you persevere through it by self evaluating, you know, creating plans, you know, taking action, you do things in a proactive manner. I'm telling you, not very seldom. I can't. I, well, I can say I've never seen. I've never come out the other side where I haven't been better off. Right. And that may not be what a guy next to me was trying to do. But had I not gone down that road, I never would discover what I ended up discovering. Yeah. You know, my broadcasting career is like that. If you had told me, when I'm in college, hey, what do you think about doing broadcasting? I said, broad what? <laughs> broadcast what? Well, I don't even know what that is. I was like, broadcasting? What's a broadcasting? You know, radio, TV. I wouldn't even think of that. So I walked into a studio one day, um, DVE in Pittsburgh. Um, Based off of counsel, I had heard from Chuck Knoll, who would say, hey, listen, your life's work is not football. You have a responsibility. You're going to have a platform. Very few get. Use it. Don't abuse it. 
right. and you do your part. And you're and, it, and this radio station wanted me to be a part of their broadcast team. And I had been doing, I was one of the first guys ever in Pittsburgh history to do a call-in. You know, back in the 70s, they didn't do any of that stuff. I would actually call in on Friday and it became popular. And a radio station asked me, another radio station who heard about it, heard me doing it and asked me if, um, how much the other station was paying me. Well, I'm dumb, not stupid, because I've been doing it for free, right? Yeah. I was like, I, I just paused long enough to give them a delay till they came up with a package to pay me. So whatever they're paying me is a heck of a lot more than I was making because I wasn't making anything. But they had a stipulation in there that I wasn't a fan of initially. I, they wanted to do it Monday morning after the game, and they wanted me in studio by 7 a.m. I was like, oh. now I was, the studio was on its way, but after a Sunday game, the last thing I want to do is get up. I, right. I'll have to get up at six and go to that studio, then go to practice. And I was like, oh man, no. And I think, uh, kept thinking of Chuck Noll saying, use it, don't abuse it. You have responsibility. You guys need to do your part too. And I, and I was thinking, man, this is one of those cases where I'm, I need to, I need to do my part. So I was like, I'll do it. Well, I'd never been in a studio before. I walked in and um, changed my life. I was like, I wanted to know everything I could find out about studio and end up going into broadcasting. And had I not gone down that road, I'd never, I wouldn't even have thought about that. So, right. you know, that's why, you know, taking action has been a, such a vital component in, in my message is that. If you're going to complain about your circumstances and do nothing about them, don't be shocked that nothing changes. That's just like right. that's insanity. It's insanity. Right. But so many people tend to do that, you know. Um, so take action. You know, um, create. You know, self-evaluate. That's the hardest thing I think for most people to do. It's been one of the things that has been a goal of mine for two decades. Things go wrong. Self-evaluate. Mm-hmm. You want to change things? Self-evaluate. Start there, make a plan, and then create. Uh, take action once that plan has been created. Yeah, and you you also push, uh, you know, find a way, right? Find a way. Yes, I mean, that's, that's the title of my book, uh, my first and second edition. And, mm-hmm. um, and I wrote my first book on that. And it's just, those words have helped me live a dream and fight to live. And, and they inspired me in many times, in many ways, to go on a journey. I never would have had those words not resonated with me and the things I learned from guys like Walter Payton, Chuck Knoll, Stuart Scott, um, you know, my own kids, you know, it's not just popular people. I mean, people that you would not, you would not know who meant something to me and inspired me, um, things I've learned from. So I'm a product of a lot of people. That's awesome. That's awesome, brother. Now, um, kind of segueing into the into the dad role um you know you've got grandkids now but um you know what did you enjoy most about being a dad well i'm gonna be honest with you i i was i don't i'm not one of those people that thought about ever getting married having kids never that was never a like on a to-do list mm-hmm. i never honestly i ever put a ounce of thought into that process now um, I lost my mom at a young age, so I do understand the sting of death, and especially at a young age, and I understand, you know, what, what kids can go through when you tragically lose somebody. Um, all that being said, the reason I share that is when my daughter was born, 
the first thing that I saw were her hands. And her hands reminded me of my mother's because she had such long, elegant fingers and her hands are so pretty. And it was like things inside me I didn't even know existed came out from the instincts and the passion to just be the best dad I could possibly be for her. And I wanted to be, I wanted to be that guy that second. And one thing I have learned over, over the years is maybe the greatest instinct I ever was blessed with because one of the most important things I think all parents need to do, um, is invest in their kids the second they're born. And that is what I'm saying, invest in them, be there with them. You know, um, I've learned more by listening than I've ever learned by talking. So listening to our kids, um, building a relationship where um, you're explaining things. You know, somebody was asking me about how I dealt with, you know, drugs and alcohol and sex with my kids. Um, Well, I developed tools with them. We did we did skits and walked through examples of peer pressure. How can you handle this? Um, I laid out, okay, if you say yes to sex, drugs, or alcohol, okay, here are the things that could happen. Okay. We're talking about, okay, drug addiction, um, death, um, pregnancy when you're still in high school, caring for your child then forever, no job, no education. I mean, all these things can be daunting if you say yes. Mm-hmm. I've seen nobody say, yeah, uh, say alcohol and drinking and drugs drove me to the top. But I can give you thousands of stories where it took you from the top or took you from your dream or robbed you of your dream. So if we say no, here's all the pluses. So when I gave them those, those visuals and then tools to get out of things, to um, handle things when they came your way, because I fell victim to peer pressure a couple of times when I was a kid. But I remember as a kid, when I got presented it, I was like, I had no defense. I was like, ah, bah, you know, and I didn't want to be like the stupid kid and not be like everybody else, you know, and I didn't think about the yes or the no. I didn't even have a tool set to defend myself. And so, um, but we'd walk through those things and practice those things. And, and my kids would tell me that comes, I remember Bo, my son, he was like, hey, about eight, you know, or nine, I don't know. He's, nah, maybe 10 around that age. He was close. To Man, he couldn't, I, when he came home, he was so proud. He, he was telling me that, that this buddy, uh, uh, he, one of his friends, older brothers, who's around 14, 15, tried to give him to smoke cigarettes. Okay. He's like, he said, dad, I took a cigarette. I busted in half. He goes, you know what? I'm going to tell my dad. I'm going to tell my dad that you're trying <laughs> to get me to smoke. And I get, goes, he just, just seemed to look in the guy's eyes. He's like, I didn't, I never saw blah. He's like, <laughs> and he was so proud to come home and tell me that. And I was like, remember, I was well, back, big time. I thought that. Take time yeah. to handle that, right? And I'm like, so, but he had, because we walked through all those things. He knew. I didn't sit there and go, Bo, you smoke cigarette, I'll kill you. You know, I mean, well, now I don't know that that's very productive because, okay, maybe you're you're afraid that, I, I just never seen that type of fear be productive. Right. You know, um, I'd rather develop my son, have tools that, he goes out of hand and I'm on his side. I'm not going to be on, I'm not going to be on him, you know, because somebody's asking to smoke a cigarette. I'm there to defend him and help him in the process. I'm not going to kill him for it. I'm going to, or beat him for it. I'm going to be there to help him with it. And, 
and it was productive for us. It really helped my with my kids and helping them handle those those circumstances. Hmm. Well, that's cool. Yes, so it's good to help them, and that's that's uh, you know the proper guidance is what they need, obviously. And, and as they grow up, you know those peer pressures are going to come, and they're going to come even into adulthood. Um, oh yeah, with the right reflection from from the parent and the loving support that they have, it's it certainly will take them down the right path. Um, well, that's cool. Um, now, what kind of challenges? kind of challenges you face i know you got you know they grew up with you a little bit in the in a in career or no my daughter my daughter was born when i was uh in pittsburgh she was Corey was born in pittsburgh um um she was a year old and then i went to chicago okay signed a three-year deal in chicago she was with me for a year in chicago till my career ended and um prematurely and, uh, but she's really too young. I mean, I got pictures with her in the locker room and stuff, but she doesn't really yeah. remember it. Um, yeah, she doesn't remember so, it a lot. So when it comes to challenges, then, um, the reason I was going down that road, I wasn't sure if they had done any traveling or anything with you, but what kind of, what kind of challenges do you face as a dad or even as a granddad at this point? Well, I'll tell you this, my, 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 my biggest challenge is my grandkids is that they're in Utah and I'm in. Cincinnati area, sometime in Pittsburgh, a lot of the time. And so I'm a long ways away. I make it a point that I don't let two months go by without being there. Rather, I get there or I have them come. And based on my travel schedule, that has been tough. And what's going on right now, I mean, I haven't seen them in like three months. We obviously FaceTime all the time and they see me in that manner, but I haven't physically been with them. So um, that's been really the, the challenge. And I go back to what I said in the very beginning investing time with them you know from the day they're born is a real uh that's a a, a goal of mine and i just the the value in that i've just seen the rewards from that the success in that that i wanted to make sure that's a big part of what i do with my grandkids and i've been able to do that thus far from this distance but right now it's been a challenge you know still a challenge because they, they live so far away but um and the time we have is usually very good and quality. So, you know, they know that they can, they can pick up phone their mom and dad and call me anytime. Right. And, and they do that. They do it all the time. So I know that I have that communication going on with them right now. So just got to keep building on it though. Yeah. And how old are your grandkids? Um, I got a seven, six and three, two boys and a girl. My girl is wow. three years old and she rules the roost. <laughs> she is the pistol of them all, man. She's, she, is, cool. uh, she is a sweetie. That's I love cool. her. Now, uh, you know, you talked about your, your feelings and how you felt when you, when you first had your daughter, but um, in what way did your life change when you became a dad? Well, um, you know, she became, they, I mean, they, my life revolved around them. <laughs> you know I mean? Like I, uh, I tell, tell a story. I'm, I'm going to go golfing here later today you know, with my buddy. And, uh, I remember, um, we lived in Arizona at the time and I got a, a memo from the map from the board that the members didn't like me going on the golf course, flying a kite. Hmm. Well, I, I, I didn't go golfing. I mean, I had kids. I didn't go hunting. I didn't do anything. I could, I, I was coaching them and around just have time because, you know, I had, I was devoted to them. And, uh, so when I had time to go golf, 
we went and flew kites on the golf course instead of <laughs> instead of playing golf. And they're like, you can't do that on the golf course. I was like, yeah, right. So I, I belong in a beautiful place, too, that I put I golf like five times in three years. <laughs> but I flew kites all the time until I got in trouble, you know. So, um, you know, that was, you know, putting those things. I'm a big hunter, but I really didn't hunt a lot. Um, I did very sparingly compared to what I do now. Um, and, you know, I just made sure that my, my day was, I'd get up early to get the stuff I was passionate about taking care of myself because that is an important aspect of parenting, keeping yourself and investing in your health and taking, taking care of yourself so that you can really be there for your kids down the road. So I did do that. I did that early and then, then my day was revolved around them. Yes. Yeah. Do you, now, do, your son plays football, but did they both play sports as they grew up? Yeah. Yeah. Corey played soccer and, um, baseball, but she was not an athlete. She, you know, I remember soccer. I was a, I was a soccer coach and she got kicked in the face, but she got a ball hit her right in the face and bless her heart. I mean, nah, she was about eight, nine, something like that. Somebody kicked the ball, hit her smack in the face. So every time anybody ever kicked the ball, it could be on another field, shit flinch. <laughs> you know, she and I was like this. I go, I go, do you do you want to keep playing? And she's like, Dad, I just can't. I'm like, then and we don't. And she was actually uh in the theater. She's okay. theatrically very gifted. She's an amazing singer and dancer. And she was on Broadway. So she didn't want to pursue that. She just had other um Broadway can be I didn't know behind the scenes, it can be very, you know, like some places you see the stage and you think that's how it is. And it was very dirty, it was just, you know, yeah. rough and dirty, you know, tough, yeah. you know? So she just, she saw that and she just, she wanted to do it. I was like, and, um, so, but she's used her skills in a lot of other ways that have been there, but have been beneficial to her. She's, I mean, like she used to babysit a lot, right? Everybody remembers her. Why do they remember her? Cause she sang to them. And, you know, music is, so she'd sing to their, while she's babysitting, she'd sing to the kids, and that's how they remembered her. But still, I walk around places all every now and then, running somebody that um, that she babysat for, and she goes, oh, we never forgot Corey. The, our kids raved about because she sang all the time. You know, so she, she still used her talent. She just wasn't on America's Top 40. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. You coached both of them? Um, yeah, yeah, I coached both of them, but yeah, Bo played you know, baseball, basketball, um, football, he, he played out everything. I coached, yeah, I coached them all in all their sports. I was part of their sports. So Bo played longer and started earlier, both started around seven. And so I coached from him from seven to 14. Actually, both started around six or five with basketball. So hmm. I coached for him a long time. Yeah, that was something that was, uh, it was important to me when I first had, I have two boys and my oldest is 21. My youngest is 18. Um, and it was something that was important to me that I'd be involved in their lives. And we wanted them to be active outside of the home doing something. Um, we didn't necessarily push sports on them, but that's just kind of what they gravitated towards. And right. uh, I had, I coached from them when they were, you know, four and a half playing little league, um, all the way up until my younger son's a senior in high school. And I still coach his, uh, his varsity basketball team. So, oh, that's good. Good for you. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, been a lot of fun. That is cool. So I found myself. Um, I, I knew it was time. Bo, I knew it was my time. I knew Bo was ready to go somewhere else. I, I, I knew it was time for 
Bo to um, get some other coaching. Right. And, his, right. and, his, and I, I could feel that. And it was it was a good thing for Bo. He, he, you know, he ran into some bad coaches and he ran into some good coaches. Yeah. yeah. Took people all the time. There's more bad coaching than there is good coaching, unfortunately. Right. Now, when it comes to following uh, in your footsteps, I know Bo plays football. Yeah. Um, I, you know, Bo, actually Bo just graduated. He had a couple years left of eligibility, but he, he chose to move on. He was ready to graduate. You know, he'd been through a lot with his, uh, with some injuries and he just had, he didn't have a good football experience at BYU, but he had a great academic experience, mm. which was, ends up being best, you yeah. know, but, um, he, uh, he was ready to move on, you know, and then that's, you know, his passion, that, that killed his passion there, you know, right. and the combination of it drove him to where he was ready to move on. Right. And I, uh, and I respect him for that, you know, and, and the job he got now, I mean, listen, they, they're just, you know, which is happening everywhere, but he's getting laid off. Right. They laid off a bunch of people and promoted him. <laughs> they laid off <laughs> everybody else and they promoted him. I was like, oh, huh. well, I just, in this environment, I don't even... Anybody who's in the work business world, you probably have to say nothing more. That probably says volumes about who you are. Right. In this environment, to be promoted. Right. And everybody else I laid off, keep doing what you're doing, son. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. You must be proud. I am. I, he is, he's, done, he's done his part. You know, I, as I was saying, that uh, the parent has all the power, but no control. Once your kids leave the front door of your home. Um, and I've always believed that. I know it is true that at, you can teach kids. You know, I know this happens all the time. Kids does not you know better. We talked about this. Okay, well, anyway, the kids have a responsibility to be accountable for how they choose to do it. You know, and are they going to listen to, you know, are they going to, and that's part of what our conversations were about too. As a parent, like, okay, you're responsible. You walk out that door. If you sit there and go, ah, you know, all this doesn't matter. Well, it, it's going to be a reflection. You know, it'll be a reflection on me, but more likely it's going to be a reflection on you. It's right. you're the one. And so kids have to, under, you know, really help to understand that. How do you want to be looked at? You know, what do you want? How do you want to be perceived and, and, and looked at? Oh, you got to remember that because that's how people are. What you do and Corey, what you do. Right or wrong, it's going to be a reflection on you. Um, so yeah. my kids have done a good job of doing their part too, you know, because what they have done, um, is them, not me. I've done my part as a parent the best I can, but after that, the, the rest is on them. And to take credit for that, I would be foolish. Yeah, I would agree with you. I would agree totally. Um, if I were to ask your kids, Merrill, what, what, would they say about you? If I were to ask them, tell me something about your dad. What would they say about? What would you hope that they would say about you? Well, I, I, you know, son, I got a, I got an email this morning from my son, and I think the one thing I've always wanted them to be able to say about me is that they know they could trust me and uh, trust and count on me. I'll be there for them. That um, no matter what, they need something. I'm there to help them, and I think that's, and I'm there for them. You know, that's, that's something I never had as a kid, you know? Um, and I've always, I've always wanted to make sure my kids knew that, that, you know, you're not alone. I'm here. 
meet anything at any time, the first person you think about is me. And I'll do everything I can for you to help you. Even into adulthood, right? Oh, yeah. yeah listen, that, you know, I, I, uh, I have this parenting tool I use is way back in the day when you know, the kids were first born. I judge my kids in the yardsticks of their years and not mine. It give me patience and perspective at all times. Well, I'm looking, I'm watching my son who just closed on his first house, going through his first process of that, was 23. Um, well, just because he's 23 doesn't mean he's ever closed on a house and knows how to do all those things. He has a million questions for me. You know, I've done that before several times. So I was just thinking, okay, you know, I mean, now what I'm getting at is when I was 21, I don't know, I felt like I knew everything, right? right. <laughs> Nobody's going to teach me another thing. I'm like, right. I got it all. Yeah, okay, it couldn't have been more foolish thought process than that. Um, my point is that, um, you know, so when he sends me questions and information, I'm like, okay, he's 23. Yes, he's not 13, but he's never closed on out. He knows nothing about that. Of course, he doesn't know anything about that. So it's, it's just always giving me patience and perspective with my kids. You know, it was really instrumental when they were younger because, you know, 35, when a five-year-old does something like five-year-olds do, you know, run around without the shoes on or spill milk or whatever they do at five, we are 35 or somewhere in that range. And you're like, you're looking at them like you're 30, you look at them through 35-year-old eyes. But if you put them through five-year-old eyes, you're like, okay, this is very common. This is very normal. <laughs> this is exactly what you did. Don't lose your mind over it. Don't waste right. energy on something that's uh, frivolous and stupid. Just maybe spill a glass of milk with them and enjoy it, you know? Make a mess with them for a second. They might enjoy that. <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. Um, well, awesome. Uh, if if you had the, the secret to raising good kids and I asked you to share it with me, what would you what would you tell me that secret is? Well, I just gave it to you. You know, that that parenting tool I used, it was the most instrumental thing in my life. It's still critical. I judge my kids in the yardsticks of their years and not mine. And it's made me, it's given me patience and perspective at all times and at all moments. And it honestly is the most powerful thing I've ever used, um, especially when they're they're young and growing. Um, and the next thing would be, you know, listen. As I've learned more by listening, I've ever learned by talking. And sometimes parents, you just want to talk, 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 talk versus just listen. You know, sometimes when you listen you, you, and you hear things that will resonate with you, then you can respond in a, constru- in a constructive manner to help your kids. That's great advice. Um, yeah, somebody said, I've, I've heard it said that uh, you have two ears and one mouth. You use them accordingly. Well, listen, uh, Merrill, it has been a huge honor for me to have you on. I really appreciate it. Um, if people want to kind of lift you up, uh, maybe check out your books. Um, where can they do all that? And then also, uh, what what do you got going on this year? Well, um, any anything that, you know, both the books I've written or any of the stuff I do, it's actually at MerrillHodge.com. And it's two R's, one L, no D in Hodge. I know my ancestors, I don't know. I don't know how they learned how to spell, but we like every way you could spell a name wrong. We're like, let's do it. And then let's give them all to him. He can even Dwayne, my middle name. You know, nobody would ever spell my middle name. Why I, we could, we could do this show for a week. And nobody would get it right. 
Um, <laughs> and I'm just like, why? But it's M-E-R-R-I-L-H-O-G-E.com and all that information they can get there. Um, if they're, if they feel so inclined to look at it and now I'm just getting ready really for when we start getting clearance to get back to, uh, my speaking, um, the things I've got scheduled to speak, most of them have been postponed or moved back. And um, I'm moving to Pittsburgh, so um, I'll be back doing some stuff with the Steelers, you know, later on um, during the football season, and along with doing stuff with uh, Fox and Friends. I do some contributing stuff with them as well that I enjoy, and I help start a, a way to play program for the National Football League that we build on every year. And we're involving that into college and and high school. So that program's continuing to grow. Cool. Well, um, like I said, Merrill, it's uh, you know, it's been an honor for me to have you on. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and uh you have a safe, blessed day and um stay healthy, right? Yeah, keep keep doing the great things for dad, man. The more parents we have that help one another, learn from one another and yeah. And inspire and help and lead our kids, you know, a better society will be for that. Yep. That's exactly why I do it, brother. All right. I appreciate well, you. Um, thank you very much, Merrill. I appreciate it, sir. All right, buddy. Take care, man. I am so thankful to Merrill for talking with me on Data. It was truly an honor having him on as a guest. As you heard, Merrill shared some great insight into fatherhood and how the challenges he faced helped him to become a better father. Please make sure you check out the latest of what he's doing at MerrillHodge.com. Thank you as always for listening to the show. And as I said before, please subscribe. It is also so important that you share the show with others. The only way the show continues to get noticed is if you're sharing and talking about it. If you have comments, questions, or suggestions for guests or would like to be a guest yourself, please let me know. You can message me on my Instagram page at datapodcast, or you can email me at dataptribe at gmail.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian Ward. Thank you for listening. This is Dad Up.